Good morning. It was the writer of Hebrews that said, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our consciences, our hearts rather, sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful who promised. And let us consider one another how to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received a knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment do you suppose shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace and has counted the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing? For we know him that says, Vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But remember your former days, brethren, after you were illuminated, how you endured a great uh, uh, conflict of sufferings, partly in which you were made a public spectacle, and partly by becoming in communion with those who were so used. For you had great compassion on me and my bonds. And you joyfully received the spoiling of your goods, knowing that in heaven you have a better and enduring substance. Therefore cast not away your confidence, which has a great recompense of reward. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through verse 36, we have the Hebrews writer appealing to the, writer, the people who are reading that letter and seeing in this an encouragement for them to hang on and to not give up. When we begin to read the background of the context here, we see a lot of different allusions to the Old Testament. Do you pick up on that in verse 19 through 21? Where he talks about the holy place, and he talks about the veil, and he talks about the priesthood, and he talks about that living way. We also see in the beginning of that chapter how he sets all of this up with several shadows of the law as he would put that, as he speaks of offerings and sacrifices and the Levitical priesthood. As we're reading in Hebrews chapter 10, we have the continuation of a theme that is found throughout the letter of Hebrews, and that is that Jesus is better than anything and anyone else. And it was a message that was needed. They were struggling and suffering to hang on because they found themselves in the distinct minority of the world in which they were living, and yet they have a new and a living way. It's a better way. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20. It's a way that the Hebrews writer has just described for us in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 that Jesus has obtained for us a more excellent ministry by which he has become mediator of a better covenant which was established by his blood. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. And oh, how we needed something better. 
In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, the Bible says that when Jesus came into this world, he said, sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body you have prepared me. In sacrifices and offerings for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do your will, O God. Above what he had said in offerings and sacrifices and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, he had no pleasure in them. Then said he, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified by the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through verse 10. And while all that I've said to you seems to speak of a different and disconnected time, I want you to keep at the heart of this letter what the writer is saying. That these folks that he is addressing had come to Jesus... From somewhere else. They had given up what they'd known. They had given up what was dear to them. They had given up what was accepted by the people in their lives. And in coming to Jesus, they were giving that up for something that wasn't so easily received. You and I come to Jesus from somewhere. I realize looking over the group this morning that there are a great many of us who have only ever grown up in the church. We have known that as our background. We have known Christ. We have believed Christ. And yet when we make the decision to follow Him, there are things that must be given up. Places that we must leave. Behaviors that we must put away in order to come to Him. I also realize that there are a great many of us who are coming to Christ not having believed in Him all of our lives, not having known Him, not having known Him as the New Testament reveals Him. We come to Him from there. These are individuals who are coming from a certain foundation, a certain heritage, a certain background. And as they come to Jesus, they are abandoning those things. But now the pressures of this life have got them wondering if they've made the right decision. As circumstances of life have gotten harder for them, they need to know if they need to continue, if it's the right thing to do, or if they should do it, is it the expedient thing to do to keep following Jesus? I suggest to you that there are going to be a great many times in all of our lives, no matter where we come to Christ from, even if we come from a God-fearing, Christ-believing home, There are going to be times in which we ask ourselves, is living the Christian life really worth it? Should I hang on to this way? Or should I choose a different way? It really all comes down, doesn't it, to spiritual endurance? How the Hebrews writer is going to say in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, as an encouragement to us after example and example of those in the Old Testament whose faith caused them to hang on to the will of God. He says, wherefore seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. What will cause us to keep going when there are those moments in our lives when we simply want to give up? What will keep us on the path that will end in our eternal salvation? There's an encouragement to Christians in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 through 39 that we can benefit from. So let's look at that. I want us to notice just three things this morning and the lesson is yours. First of all, I want you to notice with me that the Hebrews writer indicates to us the way to keep going. 
There is a way in which God wants us to go that if we will take that way and we will keep going, it will wind up in our having successfully endured. I find it very interesting that there is a word and a concept that kind of comes to the forefront at the beginning of this paragraph. It's the idea of confidence. In coming to Jesus Christ, they had gained a confidence that is spoken of in those very words in verse 19. It's the idea of assurance in verse 22. It's the idea of hope in verse 23. And it's the idea of confidence again. The Hebrews writer is trying to gear them up. He's saying that there are some things that you've got to have with you on this path if you're going to keep going. And so as you march through the text, he gives us, it seems to me, at least five of these. The first thing he says, that if you're going to keep on this path and keep going, then you have got to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, the thing is, people were drawing near to God from the time that God began revealing himself to them. But in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, the writer says that there was a time in which you're coming to him. Coming to God did not make you perfect. And it seems to me the idea is that those who worshipped under the Old Testament, they came and they brought their offering to God and they said, this is for my sins. But they knew full well that they were going to have to do it again next year. And so you had this perpetual system going on and on in which their coming to God did not make them perfect. But God foresaw this. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, he says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. And so the writer says, When you learn the message of truth, and you learned about Christ, what happened in that occasion was, you understood the impact, the difference of his sacrifice. And as the result of that, you submitted your body to baptism. And it was a different, a more significant thing. Not like the washings under the old law, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 2. You came understanding that you could only get in Christ what he offered and you could find it nowhere else. And says, So he says there, if you're going to keep on the path, you've got to draw near to him. James would encourage the same thing. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, Draw near unto God, and he will draw near unto you. So if you want to keep on the path that will keep you going, you've got to draw near. But then he says, second, that you've got to hold fast the confession of your faith without wavering. That's the second piece of instruction that will keep us going on this path. And that really speaks to the entire message of Hebrews. You go to find the purpose statement of Hebrews in Hebrews 13 and verse 22. And the entire letter is a sermon meant to exhort them to hold fast. And so you'll find that concept or that phrase throughout the letter. We are members of the household of God, God's family. If we hold fast, Hebrews 3 and verse 6, we're partakers of Jesus. If we hold fast, Hebrews 3 and verse 14, we're to show diligence, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11. And we're not to grow faint and wearied in our minds, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. So the Hebrews writer is encouraging them to hang on and to not let go. I mean, they lived and experienced life like we do. And maybe they had experiences where the people that they counted on that they thought would never turn on them left and abandoned them. And he says, Jesus is not going to do that to you. He will not fail you. He won't forsake you, Hebrews 13 and verse 6. And that being the case, hold on. He is saying something that I love. Eddie Clower has said it and it has stuck with me through the years. 
Tie a knot in your rope of faith and hang on. Don't let go. The Hebrews writer is saying what you have in Jesus is different than you'll have from any other source, any other place where you might leave him to go. So hold on to this. I was reading about an English captain who was uh, uh, leading his vessel, his ship, near uh, the coast of Turkey. And as he was trying to, to navigate the Mediterranean, a fierce storm came along. And it was so bad he knew that he would have to, to lay down an anchor or they were going to drift ashore and be beaten apart by the shoals. And so he let down his sure and heavy anchor. But the storm was so violent that the, the anchor would not grab in the sandy seabed. And so it drug along and they were coming closer to shore. He had another anchor, a heavy anchor, and he dropped that anchor And the same thing happened. And so that ship is getting nearer and nearer to shore. And in a last-ditch effort, he had one small anchor. And instinctively, he knew it wasn't going to do any good, but he dropped it anyway. And to his great surprise, the chain begins to tighten. And the next thing he knows, the ship is held in place. And through that final cast, that ship was able to ride out the storm. And so when all due course was finished and the storm had passed, he began to pull up the anchors. Pulled up one heavy anchor and the other. And as he knew, they came up easily because they hadn't caught on the seabed. But then they tried to pull up the little anchor. And as they pulled, it wouldn't budge. And as they exerted all of their effort and strength, finally it began to move. And as that anchor came up, slowly and slowly, eventually it comes to the surface. And they see that what had happened is that it had gotten caught in something else. In the ring of an anchor of a great battleship that had gone down many years before, it had caught in that and through that, it had saved that ship. I think that's what the Hebrews writer is saying in Hebrews 6 and verse 19. That we have hope as an anchor of the soul. And what we do is we cast our confidence in Christ and we lay hold of Him. And through that, by holding fast and not letting go, aren't you tempted in the world in which we live to just let go? Voices everywhere are saying it's not worth it. You think about what you're missing out on and what you're losing in life as the result of this. Why keep going? Hebrews writer reaches across the centuries to you and me and he says don't let go he won't fail you he won't forsake you you're in the bedrock that will keep you through the storm but then as we continue to look and see how he tells us to keep on the path he says the third piece of advice that I would give the instruction would be to consider one another to consider one another uh, to provoke unto love and good deeds that's verse 24 and 25 Isn't it remarkable that what the writer is saying, that in addition to Christ, what we need is one another. We're not going to make it very far in this life without the support and help that we get from each other. And in order for us to get what he wants for us to have from each other, in order to stay on the path, he tells us our love and action are going to lead to two things. That first of all, we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's an encouragement here that says God needs you present. He needs you present for your good. But he also needs you present here to to be there for others. We can't do what God wants us to do to help everybody to stay on the path if we're not here. But you know that's an easy low-hanging fruit because everybody here is here this morning. What about the second piece? He says encourage one another. 
In other words, we're not just to be a body on the pew or in the chair. That our being here provides a means for us to encourage one another. I mean, you think about what happens when you come into the worship every time. You benefit from the acts of worship and engaging your heart in that. But there's more to it. God has you here to provide the encouragement that we need for one another so that maybe somebody who's about ready to let go of that rope of faith and to leave Christ to go somewhere else, through our active encouragement, they're able to make it another week and to continue to fight the fight. God has us here for one another to be a source of encouragement. Four boys were swimming in a lake and they were having a great time horse playing and swimming pretty hard. And after about an hour, one of the boys said, you know, we need to swim back to the other side of the lake. And they didn't factor in the fact that they had been playing hard all day, playing ball, running and walking, and now they were very tired. And so they began that trek back across the lake and one of the boys particularly was having problems. He was having great difficulty swimming, and so he stopped. And so the boys encouraged him, come on, let's keep going. And pretty soon, not only could he not swim, but he was having a hard time even treading water. And he said to his buddies, I don't think I'm going to make it. And that's when they went to work. They began to say, come on, you can do it. You can make it. Just a few more strokes. Just keep going. And finally, one of the boys on the other end of that was able to get down and the boy who was struggling could see his head above water. That's all that he had, but that was enough. He was saying, if you can get this far, you can make it. Don't give up. You can do it. And he did. Proverbs 25 verse 11 says that like apples of golden settings of silver, so is a word fitly spoken. Think about what good that you might do. By the word of encouragement that you give before you leave this building today, maybe to someone that you don't even know very well. Maybe somebody you're just beginning to learn and to know as a part of the body of Christ. Maybe it's, it's some, there's something more pressing going on and you're ready to get past that, maybe on to lunch or whatever it is. But by pausing and stopping and saying that word of encouragement, who knows the eternal good that it might do. I've done a lot of mission work in Africa, and they before you go, one of the, the medicines that they encourage you to get is some kind of malaria medicine. It's a prophylactic, and it's more effective that way if you don't have to live there. But if you live in, the, in one of the countries in Africa, they say it's better for you not to take that medicine, but to get treated once you have it. And especially those with good nutrition and maybe foreigners who come to the country, it's not a big deal. But they make malaria kits in mass that are sent or could be sent to these countries. They cost $10 approximately per kit. They are are easy to manufacture, they say, and they're made in abundance. But the problem, thousands of people die on the continent of Africa every year because they just don't get them into their hands. They're not delivered. And I think about how that's so often the case. The, the, the spiritual deficiency that we suffer from the most is a lack of vitamin E, encouragement. And how we can reach out and help people. What difference will our praying for someone, our calling someone, our visiting someone, our being involved in the lives of people. It's so easy to administer and at such relatively little cost. And yet how many die spiritually from lack of it? And so the writer of Hebrews, he's telling us, how do you keep on the path? How do you continue the path to endurance so you don't give up? The first two are us trusting and believing in what the Lord has done. But then this third one is look around and help those people around you.
so that they can stay on the path. A fourth thing that I also find interesting here is the idea that he says, I want you to remember the past. Now, isn't it interesting how the scripture will tell us two different things to do? And it depends on the context and the circumstances. Luke 17, 32 is really implying that you shouldn't look back. He says, remember Lot's wife. Don't, don't look back to a, a something that you shouldn't be longing for. And certainly that's part of the Hebrews writer. He's saying you have a distorted view of the past. You remember when they were going to go into the, the promised land and what happens in the wilderness wandering is they look back to Egypt and they misremembered how all of that went down for 430 years. Sometimes it's not good to remember the past. Sometimes it's very beneficial. And it seems in verse 32 through 34 that it is one of those beneficial times. He wants them to be encouraged by what had happened in their past. In verse 32 through verse 34, he wanted them to remember the conflict of sufferings that they had already been through. And in their case, what he said was that you were yourself humiliated. Because of your faith for standing up for Christ, you were embarrassed... But you also, you were willing to fellowship those who were going through the same kinds of things. He says you had sympathy with those who were put in prison for preaching Christ. You even allowed your property to be taken from you in order to stay faithful to Christ. That idea of their being publicly humiliated, by the way, is an interesting word. It's a word from which we get our English word theater. And so perhaps the idea that the Hebrews writer is conveying to us is that they were put on public display. Maybe they were being ridiculed for the humor or the satisfaction of the amusement of their tormentors. So what's he saying there? He's saying, here you are, oppressed by your current problems. The struggles, the valley that you find yourself in now. And as you're being pushed not to stay faithful to Christ, have you considered what you've already given Have you considered the assemblies that you have been a part of, the growth that you've experienced in worship? Have you considered the service that you've rendered to other people? Have you considered the ways in which you were involved in the work of the church? Have you considered the price that you've paid? All these are investments that you have made because of your faith in Christ. But so often we're being pressed by our current problems. It's difficult for us To look ahead and see things as they really are. But he says if you're going to stay on this path. Remember all the hard work you've put into it already. But then there's a fifth thing he says. If you're going to stay. Keep on this path. You have also got to look to the future. You've got to look ahead. And that's what he says in verse 35. In fact as you go all the way to the end of the chapter. He says not only are you to remember. But you're to be anticipating Otherwise, you're going to shrink back or draw back. You know, literally, that word is the idea of giving up. And it's a very interesting the way that it's used and it's limited usage in the New Testament. It's the word that's used in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. You remember that Peter was the first one to preach the gospel to the Gentiles? And there he is with the people of God, Gentile Christians, and they're fellowshipping with them until James and others from Jerusalem come. And when they do, Paul says that they withdrew themselves. That's the idea of the word here. A different form of the word is used in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. The idea that, that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders when he says, I did not hold back anything that was profitable to you. 
And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, as you consider this path of faith, not only are you not to forget the past, but you're to anticipate the future. Look at what's ahead and realize what you stand to gain. So you have these encouragements from the Hebrews writer. Maybe we're, we're looking at how easy it would be for us to give up. What he is saying is that here is a how-to, an instructional guide. This is what's involved in just keeping one foot in front of another. You know, there are certain uh, incentives that we have. There's the, what is it, the couch potato to 5K that you you go from just sitting there and doing nothing. And maybe you're not ready to get up off the couch and run a six-minute mile in that moment. What do you have to do? You've got to build up the endurance. And how do you do that? By beginning to get started. The Hebrews writer saying, maybe you're not running right now. Maybe you're walking. Maybe you've even stopped. But don't get off the path. Keep going. And he gives us these ways that help. But then second, I want you to notice that there are some challenges that make it hard for us to keep on the road. The Hebrews writer's not unrealistic. In fact, he wants them to see some of the things that make it hard to stay on the path. Now, he's writing about people. This is not his primary audience. He's writing about those who were of those folks that had abandoned the assembly. He is not saying that they were guilty of this. But he uses them as an example so that they would not. Because, you know, those folks that had been a part of the body of Christ, who had been in the assembly, they had once perhaps been just as faithful and immersed and involved. But something happened and they had left. They had given up. And so he says, now, I want you to identify the challenges. The first challenge that he mentions is willful sin. He says, if we sin willfully, this is not an occasional bad decision. This is not a weakness. This is not going the wrong direction on a bad day. This is a deliberate choice to walk away from God, to leave Him, to go back out into the world. In their case, to go back to Judaism, the thing that they had left to come to Him. And he says, if that's the case then there's willful sin that that follows. And before we gloss over that, the Hebrews writer tells us what's involved in willful sin. He says, if you were to let go of Christ and get off of this path, this willful sin would mean that there would be no more sacrifice for sins. You know the message is? We're going to continue to stumble. We're going to keep falling. Romans 3 and verse 23, of the best of us it's said that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you willfully leave Jesus, even though you keep sinning, you now have no longer a sacrifice for sins. And then he says another thing is that there is a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. What he's going to say before he's done in this chapter is, we long for, we look for, it is a great day, the coming of Jesus Christ. But if we leave him, if we depart from the path, then as we anticipate the judgment, it won't be an exciting day, something that we are looking forward to. It'll be absolutely frightening. And then he says the third thing that you need to keep in mind is that there is a punishment that's worse than death. We might want to try to to lull ourselves if we're leaving Christ and saying that that's not the way it really is going to be. That it's not going to happen. The Hebrews writer says that there is something worse than death. We will continue to be conscious. And if we leave Christ, it's to a state of everlasting punishment. So he says, here's a challenge. The presence of willful sin in our lives. 
A second challenge is throwing away our confidence. What he's saying is the very opposite thing that you had in Christ. Even though you were hurting and and sacrificing and giving up for the cause of Christ, you had confidence that no matter what, you were going to make it. But you're turning that loose by going the other direction. And the other challenge is a lack of faith in verse 38 and 39. I find it interesting that he quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 4. We have got to be clinging to our faith in Christ if we're going to stay on that path. But what happens is there are so many messages that are blunting and obscuring the faith that we have in Christ. And so we're going to be careful about not letting those impediments keep us from building our faith. We want to surround ourselves and build in ourselves that which builds our faith. Now, here's the thing. As long as we're in these bodies, there are going to be challenges. There are going to be impediments. What we want to do is to continue taking those steps down the road and realize those roadblocks and to continue to hurdle them so that we will not give up. And I love the way that we can see the end of this chapter going. If we're going to keep going and not give up, we need to see the blessings that are involved in enduring. And really what it seems to me is that he's got one message and he's got five different ways to say it. Notice it with me very quickly. That first of all, we have a lasting possession. When you look in verse 34, he says, you were willing to let go of your property. I I realize that it's hard by way of illustration to go back into this text and talk about something that I suppose none of us have ever been through. I have never had something taken away from me As the result of my faith. Now I may have had to give some things up. But nobody has come along and said, hey, are you a Christian? Oh, you are. Well then, because of this, I have the power and the right. I'm going to take your stuff away from you. He's writing to folks who had gone through that. So let's say that even if we were to get to a place like that, here's the message. Even if they take everything away from you, this is something that cannot be taken away. What you're looking at are material things, but what he has to offer you are eternal things. We will put up with whatever we need to in exercising our faith because we know that in heaven we have an enduring substance that will not be taken away from us. Blessing number one in staying on the path is that we have a possession that's eternal in its nature that will not tarnish, that will not fade away, that cannot be taken away from us. Then number two, He indicates another blessing is that there is a great reward in verse 35. He says, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Now the word that here is translated reward is a word that's used throughout the Bible. It's a neutral word. God's going to reward everyone. Matthew 16 and verse 27, he's going to reward us according to our works. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that if you stay on the path, if you will not give up, there's an unparalleled reward that's waiting for you. He then says you're going to receive what is promised in verse 36. Here's another blessing of staying on that path. And the one who promises is faithful. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. problem is we find ourselves in life where people have broken promises to us. Even the dearest people on earth to us. But the Lord's not going to break His promise. Hebrews 6 and verse 17 says He wants to ensure the heirs of His promise. And so He gives this immutable oath. He confirms it. 
that by with two unchanging things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we can have that which we lay hold on, that hope that's set before us, Hebrews 6, 17, and 18. What He's promised us, He is going to give us. He will not fail to do so. But then we also are going to be rewarded at His coming. In verse 37 He says, Just a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Remember, the contrast is with faith here that those who have left Christ, who have gone off the path, who have given up, the coming of Christ is a frightening prospect. But for those of us who hang on to our faith and stay on the road, it is the fulfillment of our ultimate desires. The reason why I believe you're here today. The reason why you're living the Christian life is because you want to see Christ coming again. 1 Peter 4 verse 18, you can help others to also be excited at His coming. It's hard for us to envision what we've never seen before. But when the the clouds are cleaved and our Lord appears, and we're caught up before Him in the judgment, how wonderful for that to be a day of anticipation fulfilled. When Christ comes... We realize that the road that we've been on, it's been the right way. It will have been vindicated. But then he indicates to us a last thing. And that is that we have the preservation of our souls. Don't you love the way he's inclusive here? And he speaks with confidence. He says the just shall live by faith. But the Lord has no pleasure in the one that shrinks back. But he says we are not of those who shrink back under destruction or perdition but of those who believe unto the saving of the soul. All of this, it seems to me, is his way of saying that no matter what you're having to deal with right now, if you'll hang on, there are blessings that you can't fully anticipate in the limitations of this life and these bodies that are going to be given unto you because you didn't give in to the obstacles. Juliana Kopke was 17 years old and she boarded a plane with her mother and 90 others in Lima, Peru on Christmas Eve 1971. And as they got on that plane, by the way, an aircraft that was notoriously unreliable, they were flying despite the fact that they shouldn't have been flying. They were trying to meet holiday pressures and so they went ahead and they flew that flight. Terrible storms arose as they often do in the jungle environment. 15 minutes from the runway where they would have landed, a lightning strike hit the plane, broke it apart in midair. And the other 90 passengers and crew members were killed. But not Juliana. Juliana fell 10,000 feet and hit the, the jungle floor in the Amazon. She was still strapped in her seat. She was in the next to last uh, row of the plane in a window seat on the left-hand side. And when she hit, she broke her collarbone. She had a deep gash in her arm. She had an eye injury and a concussion. But she was alive. Not only that, but the near side of Juliana Kopke lost her glasses. What was she going to do in the thick of the jungle, in the middle of nowhere? She would walk around for 10 days. And as she kept going... And refused to stop. On day 10, she found a hut and she went inside. Next day, local fishermen found her in the hut, put her in a canoe and carried her back to civilization. Maybe one other fact I should tell you about Juliana is that her parents were biologists in a station, a little 
uh, work area right in that part of the Amazon jungle. And they had taught her survival skills since she was a little girl. But it took more than the survival skills. She had to have a will to survive. And she exercised that until she was rescued. It seems to me that what the Hebrews writer is talking about is much like this in a figurative sense. Juliana had no control over her parents sharing those skills with her. We had no part in devising the eternal scheme of redemption. God did that apart from our even knowing about it. And yet having rescued us, having provided a means of escape, we must endure. We've got to participate in our own rescue. Our Lord wants to save us from spiritual death. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, but He will not do it without our cooperation. We find ourselves on the road. You know, so often it's depicted as Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Two different roads. Whatever road we decide to go on. But the road the Hebrews writer is speaking of here, this new and living way is the narrow way. And he's saying, yes, it's difficult. He doesn't dismiss that fact. There are obstacles. But there's a way to keep going on that. And if we do, there are blessings that await that we really will not understand. The question is, have you started? Have you taken the, the first step onto that road? The Lord tells us how to do that repeatedly throughout Scripture in different contexts, in different types of New Testament literature. We realize that Christ's death on the cross was what made it possible to, to pave or to, to make that road available to us. And having done that, having given that great love, he says, believe that I am the way. John 14 and verse 6. And in believing, let it change your heart, let it change your life. And let it allow you to change your condition by submitting to baptism to have your sins washed away. We would love to help you to do that today. Maybe not in the public assembly. Maybe you would prefer to do that in private. But if you need to begin that journey, don't give up before you begin. And if you're a child of God who's struggling, maybe you are at the end of your rope of faith and you're just about ready to let go. Maybe you think that the things that this world has to offer are so compelling that it's just not worth it to take another step. Surely as we look and see within God's Word, there's plenty of incentive to keep going. Maybe you need us to encourage you. We don't just encourage through the acts of worship. We encourage each other from the establishment of the church. Being together was important. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And maybe it is Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. We can lift up your hands. We can encourage you through this difficult moment. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, we're going to encourage you to come right now as we stand and sing.